This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Good afternoon. It is fantastic to see you all. Uh, my name is Hannah, and um, yeah, I just think it was so exciting in worship, wasn't it, to hear people contribute and encourage us that have never done it before, and just to hear then about us all kind of all have a part to play, and I feel like we experienced that already, so um, that was fantastic. We're in a, a series at the moment called Knowing Jesus, and it is brilliant, and believe it or not, we are into week five already. Week five, the focus today is on the sinlessness of Jesus. And we're going to get straight into it. Are we ready? Right, you need your Bibles out. We're going to turn to Hebrews 7. So if you can find your way to Hebrews 7, the words should come up behind me as well. Now this is a theologically rich bit of scripture. It's got priests in it who die, a great priest who never dies, and some amazing implications of that for us. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. Jesus, the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. It's a great bit of scripture. This is Jesus. You see it there in verse 26. The holy, innocent, unstained one, exalted above the heavens. The one who, as verse 28 tells us, is made perfect, is perfect forever. Perfect, sinless. Jesus lived a sinless life. And even if you have a very basic understanding of Christianity, this claim that Jesus is sinless is probably a familiar one. Familiar, yet astonishing. Like, there have been many people in history who have made great claims. Many people who have impacted in huge ways, who have changed nations, who have done great things. And I'm pretty sure that it doesn't matter who you think of at any point in history, at any point in the world, no one has come away with a clean slate, except for one, Jesus. Sadly, in our world today, we're no longer surprised when politicians lie or when famous people abuse their power. We expect it, even of great people. But earlier in Hebrews 4:15, we're told that Jesus was in every way tempted, as we are, and yet was without sin. The scriptures speak frequently and passionately about the fact there is only one person who never sinned. 
this truth sits at the very heart of our faith and at the very heart of our confidence in the gospel. Our salvation, the salvation of the church, depends on it. In fact, the order of the whole universe depends upon the sinless life of Christ. Because as the second person of the Trinity, we're told in the word that it's through him that all things hold together. This is not just an interesting doctrine for theologians. This is the, the truth, that the very truth that makes Jesus our only hope in life and in death. As a family, we, um, yeah, we said goodbye yesterday to a, a much-loved great-granny. Um, it was an emotional day, particularly for James. It was his great-granny, and she loved Jesus and our comfort and our confidence rests in this truth that we're looking at today. She has a sinless savior and that his perfect record will be her perfect record when she stands before God in glory. This is a truth that we cling to. Our lives literally depend on this forever. My prayer today is that as we focus in on our sinless saviour and our deep need of him, we would experience afresh the wonder of our salvation and of Christ's eternal worth. But to grasp why we need a sinless saviour, we must understand the weight of sin. And this is the bit where people are like, oh. But we have to, get, we have to understand the bad news for the good news to really be good. We have to go here. It's not something that as a, a nature we feel comfortable. We love the, you know, the great bits that make us feel good. But this is so important for us. We need to live in the wonder of the gospel. And we don't get that if we don't need why we desperately needed to be saved. And the Bible makes it clear that the biggest problem that the world faces is sin. Not climate change not COVID, not troubled marriages or wayward children or failing health or the rising prices of gas and electricity. Everyone's problem is laid out in Romans 1 verse 18. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Our ungodliness, our sin is so serious, it incurs God's wrath. If God is love, he cannot be indifferent towards sin and evil. A morally indifferent God who doesn't take sin and evil seriously, a God who would shrug his shoulders at the horrors of what sin does, that God wouldn't be loving or just or good. Our deepest problem is how we can be reconciled to a perfectly good God and escape judgment that is terrifying. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because we can say this is our greatest problem and yet are we always very clear on what it is that meant we needed to be rescued? What is it that we do that's sinful? One of the questions I sometimes ask my children at night before we pray is, what can we thank God for today? And sort of tease some things out of them. And then I ask, you know, what can we be sorry for today? And they often just go, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Like, really? Let me help you out a little bit, right? And then sometimes my daughter goes, and mummy, what about you? What have you got to say sorry for today? And if I pause, she's like, let me help you out. Uh, 
But it's interesting because I think a lot of us are much um, more comfortable recognizing sin in other people. And I think the question for us today is, do we detect our own sin and hate it enough? Hate it enough to even remember to say sorry for it. We can easily pick out serious sins, the Ten Commandment-breaking sins. You'd probably remember if you'd killed or stolen, but I think sometimes we miss what makes our sins so serious that it required the brutal death of a perfect man. Martin Lloyd-Jones kind of hits the nail on the head when he said, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves, and we can always put up a good case for ourselves. There is only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. It's just so true. I do it all the time make excuses. It's like an instinct. I do something wrong and I immediately want to step in and justify what I've done. Basically, we don't feel the weight of our own sin because of our sin. Psalm 36 verses 1 to 2 puts the same argument like this. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity, that's just another word for sin, cannot be found out and hated. So what the psalmist is saying is sometimes we think too much of ourselves and too little of God, and therefore we cannot detect or recognize sin in our lives and then hate it. Sin is not so much about what we do or don't do, It's more about the condition of who we are before we were rescued by Jesus, are rescued by Jesus. It's like if sin were the color blue. We do not occasionally think or say something that's blue. All of what we think and do and say is tainted blue. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. That is the greatest commandment. How often do we fail in that? Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, before we had faith in Christ, we couldn't please God. Sin is our translation from a Hebrew word, katar, or the Greek word, hamatia. And katar means to fail or miss the goal. Literally, like if you're a football fan and you watched any games of the weekend, every time a penalty got missed, that's what we're talking about, a failure to to hit the spot, missing the goal. So in the Bible, sin is a failure. It's interesting that came through in worship, that word, didn't it? Fail. Sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. And so we must ask ourselves, what is the goal? And page one of the Bible helps us out. Page one of the Bible says, in the beginning, God. He is the goal. His glory, loving him with all that we have, all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our heart and soul. And Qatar is failing to do that, missing that goal. And page one of the Bible also tells us that every human being is made in the image of God a sacred being who represents God and is worthy of respect and dignity. So in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them as they deserve. 
That's why if you think about the Ten Commandments, half of them are about how we can fail to love God, and the other half name ways that we can fail to love other people. And both are held together because in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Sin also describes how we can easily deceive ourselves, and this is where it gets that really bad news. We spin illusions about and redefine our bad decisions as good decisions. It's like an instinct. Think about it, right at the beginning, Adam and Eve, they thought they were making a really good decision, right? They wouldn't have done it otherwise. This is a great decision. And Cain, he's, you know, a few verses later, got these murderous thoughts about Abel, and God intervened and said, if you don't choose what is good, Qatar is crouching at your door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. But Cain didn't. The Bible tells us that this tendency towards sin and self-deception runs deep. That's why the Apostle Paul said we are enslaved to sin. So sin, humanity's biggest problem, is a failure as humans to fully love God and others. It's our inability also to be able to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. And then we get to Jesus. Jesus, revealed to us as the creator, become truly human who did not fail to love God and others. He didn't miss the goal. Jesus is embodied holiness and love. And this actually looks like something remarkable. He was the cleanest, purest human being who has ever lived. And yet, what was he like when he was amongst people? Who did he hang out with? He sought out the most unclean, dirty people that he could, that society had considered dirty and unclean. Prostitutes, lepers, cheats. He sought them out. He had compassion and love for the loveless that astounded and offended people. By driving out sickness and demons and, and loneliness, he was restoring people back to what they were created for, back to health. Jesus was an exact imprint of God's nature. So when we see Jesus, we're seeing God's heart for people. God is love. And Jesus came full of love and compassion. Not so... The people who drew that out most were the people who understood their need of him. People who recognized their sin. Recognized their, their desperate need of a rescuer, a savior. Humanity needed to be loved back into what they were created to be. Who are people who love God and love people. For God so loved, he sent his son. And Jesus never failed to reveal the heart of God. John 8, 26, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Let me say that again. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Like no other being, human being has ever been able to say that. And it's on this basis that Jesus was able to save. So let's get back into Hebrews 7 again. Christ is able to save to the uttermost 
And the reason for that, when you look at the Bible, the biblical answer to the problem of sin is actually priesthood. Now, this is a bit where some of you are going, oh, here we go, oh, no. You have to push in here because this is part of our story. If you're a Christian today, this is part of the great story of God, of the plan of salvation. And it might feel a bit unfamiliar, but this is the same God okay, that we serve and love. So sin is a big problem with serious consequences. And Romans tell us that the wages of sin is death. So this is a problem that needs to be dealt with. And the whole point of the priestly system in the Old Testament is to teach us about the seriousness of sin and the importance of holiness and the purpose of sacrifice. If death is needed to deal with sin, something needs to die in our place. And the sacrifice of animals in the Bible was God appointing and allowing something to be a substitute. It would symbolically die in someone's place. Priests would oversee this sacrifice. They would mediate between people and God. They would enter the Holy of Holies. They would enter into God's presence on behalf of the people. They would represent the people before God. And that is how the people, of all the stories that we read, they experienced the grace of God and the love of God through this system that would atone them for sin, washing them clean. God made a way to be right with God. And he provided priests in the Old Testament. And and like we see in verse 23, there were lots of them. Why? Because they died and people needed to replace them. So there were lots of priests and they held their position temporarily. And because sin was never dealt with, fully dealt with, no matter how many sacrifices were made, the blood would continue to flow. But this priesthood, these sacrifices, they were pointing towards a greater reality, like seeing a shadow of something before the real thing comes into view. God provides his son, the final high priest, the permanent high priest, the unstained one. And unstained is so significant because the Old Testament Mosaic law said that these sacrifices needed to be spotless. In order for the sacrifice to be accepted by God, it had to be spotless. So in Jesus, there was nothing that could prevent God from accepting his sacrifice. That's why when John saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the spotless Lamb of God who's come to take, the sins, take away the sins of the world. On the cross, an exchange happened. It's called imputation. <laughs> Because of Christ's moral perfection, God put the weight of our sin upon Jesus. Our sins became his upon the cross. So our sin was imputed to Christ on the cross, and his perfect record became ours when we put our trust in his saving word. His sinlessness is credited to us. Jesus knew that his death was a sin-defeating death. He was taking the burden of humanity's Qatar, failure to love God and others upon himself. The only one who did not deserve it willingly paid the price and took our place. When we confess and believe that Jesus is Lord and was raised from the dead, his clean record, his clean slate becomes our clean slate. It's incredible, Paul said it like this, for our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, 
Jesus, so that we might become the righteousness of God. We sing it like this. The beautiful words of Charity Lee Smith, the daughter of an Irish reverend, said, sung, penned these words, because the sinless saviour died, our sinful souls are counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross, and then he defeated death and was raised to life. He's alive. He lives forever. And that's why Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. I love that word. He saves completely and forever. It doesn't say he saves, he's able to save in part or able to save mostly. He is saved to the uttermost. If you're a Christian today, May we have such deep assurance. May you have such deep assurance that you have been made right with God. And if you're sitting here today and you feel any sense of unworthiness, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you know, the same heart of Jesus when he walked on the earth, which was for people, compassion that just overflowed as he reached out, it doesn't change. Our Jesus is the same yesterday and forever, right? So he can reach out now in love and compassion and cleanse and heal. There is no part of you that Jesus hasn't changed, that his sacrifice hasn't impacted. No dark place in your mind or your soul that his saving work hasn't reached. We've got to believe this to the uttermost. And it is to the uttermost because Jesus is still active on our behalf and will continue to be forever. This verse tells us that right now, Jesus is interceding for us. Right now. Interceding for someone means that there's a person who makes a case for someone on behalf of someone else. In the throne room of heaven, Jesus is interceding for us. Why? Is it because his work on the cross isn't finished? No. We know that he cried out as he was dying, it is finished. Jesus' heart of love for sinners didn't stop functioning like that at his death and resurrection. His heart is still drawn to us today as it ever was. Jesus doesn't intercede for us now because his saving work on the cross was incomplete in any way. No, there was no lack in which what he accomplished on the cross. But our future and our present is covered because his heavenly intercession for us okay, is a reflection of the fullness and victory of his complete eternal work on our behalf. So he intercedes right now for us, and it's like a day in, day out, moment by moment application of the saving work of the cross. That's why Paul in Romans 8, 33 and 34 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us. What he's saying is that your past, present and future are all dealt with by Jesus, so why should you feel condemnation? Why listen to that lie? Jesus died and was raised and is still interceding for you. There is activity now in heaven working on your behalf. Jesus is for you. He always will be. He is for you right now, no matter what it is you're facing. It's a natural human instinct, I think, when we go through trials, we go through difficulties, to think that God has moved away from us. Or when we're struggling with sin, 
habitual sin to make this, this assumption that God has moved away. The posture of God is towards you because of Christ. If your life is hidden in Christ, the posture towards God is always towards you. He is always for you. When the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus' work guarantees that for us, Jesus is praying, he knows every moment of our lives. He's with us and he's for us. And that changes how we live. Imagine when you're tempted to sin, just believe it or not, we're going to, probably in the next like hour or two hours or whatever, okay, and certainly for the rest of the week. Imagine when we're tempted to sin, that we could hear Jesus praying for us. Imagine him praying these words, Father, give him what they need right now. Father, give her what she needs. May her faith not fail. Father, our love is so deep and wide. Nothing in all of creation can separate, separate this child from it. Father, forgive. Father, this one's mine. This one's mine. Washed clean. Look at them. This one's mine. Look at them. Can you imagine if we could hear Jesus praying like that for us? Constantly bringing us before the Father with a heart overflowing in love towards us. I would love to hear these prayers audibly, but we get the gist in the word of God. We are saved eternally by the eternal prayers and advocacy of Jesus in heaven as our high priest. And his prayers are answered because he prays perfectly on the basis of his perfect sacrifice. Friends, we need to be assured that we are saved and that sin and death have been defeated that we do not need to fear them or feel overwhelmed by them, by the presence of them in our lives. We need to live in the freedom that salvation gives us. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, my prayer is that he would reveal himself to you in all his beauty and that you would know your deep need of him. You can ask him to reveal himself as a person. And it's more than assurance that we're saved. I mean, that's amazing. But, you know, we can also have hope and confidence that we can overcome sin in our lives. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. And Romans 8 says this, For us who are born of God, sin is an ever-present, indwelling enemy to be put to death every day by the Spirit. So we get this picture, don't we? We get Jesus forever interceding for us, and we, day by day, day in, day out, okay, are putting to death sin by the Spirit. This, this activity of Jesus on our behalf as our intercessor gives us the confidence and motivation to be ruthless with sin. Our knowledge of the righteousness of Christ credited to us doesn't make us complacent. The opposite, we know what it cost him. For centuries, Christians have cultivated these like sin-busting habits. Okay, across centuries, they destroy sin's power. And this is so important for us because society is crying out, how do people change? Like everywhere, society is crying that out. And politicians, it's like, well, we'll just do more legislation. That's how people will change. And, you know, you've got teachers and educators going, oh, education is the way that people can change. And you get, you know, the police force, oh, no, education... Everyone is crying out, how can people change? And we have it here in the word of God. There's a daily habit 
of how we can change, a power to change. And we, we can be confident that we'll change because it's God's will that we will change. Why? Because his word says that we can be transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's God's will. His sanctifying, saving work in us continues. How do we do it? It's not fun, but it's, it's there and it, it works. Confession, repentance, and faith. Okay? Daily habits that we need to have in our lives. What is confession? Saying you did it. Not making excuses, not trying to justify it, but just saying, yeah, I did that. I chose to treasure the approval and love of that person over the approval and love of God. I chose to be afraid and fear and not trust. I care more about what they say said than you say. Or I chose to believe lies today. Or I insisted on my own way today, God, and I ignored the needs of my kids or my spouse or my friends or my neighbor. We confess it and then we can repent of it. And that's just not saying the words, I'm sorry. There's an inward thing with repentance where we, once we've confessed it and we see it for what it is, then we can, we can hate it, right? We recognize it for what it is, and then we remember what it cost Jesus, and we turn away from it. And we don't just turn away from it, we turn in faith to God again. So we don't just feel this, we don't feel condemnation, we, we confess it, we repent, and then we believe that God can deal with it, and we turn in faith towards God. We know he forgives us. We know that he washes us clean, that his power is at work in us to overcome sin. This is how people change. This is how we change confession, repentance, and faith. And the word even encourages us to do this with friends, to confess our sin to one another. And it's a powerful thing. I've done it more times than I'd like to admit. Confession, repentance, and faith. It's such a privilege to be able to change as God's people. It's such a privilege. By faith we believe we now have a great security of salvation because Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost, to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just gonna invite the band to make their way up. The living Christ, our great high priest, always, every day active in the throne room of heaven on our behalf, for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus, for those who draw near. So we have an invitation to draw near. And that's not hesitantly or, or kind of, you sure, that's boldly, boldly drawing near. Our good father, we have a good, good Father. He will never reject you today, tomorrow, ever. Because Jesus could make the claim to be sinless, the same will be true of us. When, as redeemed sinners, we are perfected in glory. That is our destination. That is where we're heading. Let us live with joy. We're saints, forgiven and free, because we have a sinless Savior. Because our sinless saviour died, our sinful souls are counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. We're going to sing, but let's pray first. If you wouldn't mind getting to your feet. Yeah, God, I just want to... <laughs>
Thank you. God, I thank you for your great plan of salvation. Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for always doing what was pleasing to the Father. I want to thank you for your obedience. I want to thank you for your great love that would take you to the cross. Holy Spirit, would you just come and would you just breathe afresh on us the wonder of knowing a sinless Savior. Our deepest need, God, was for you to come and rescue us. What a wonderful Savior. (laughs) Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you could do what we could never do. And we thank you, God, that you have welcomed us in. Jesus, I thank you that you are seated right now in the heavenly places and you're interceding for us. You're active for us. Just pray for everybody here that this deep assurance would flood us, that we are loved, that we have been saved to the uttermost. And I pray that you would just give us fresh hope and confidence that we can put to death the things in our lives that rob us, the things in our lives that cost you your death, Jesus. Would we be a people who seek after holiness, who love holiness, who stand apart? God, come and change us. We love you. Amen.